Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Anya Anastasia, who is a performer, cabaret writer, singer, curator, producer of venues, producer of fairs, producer of work, and uh, is just a delight to talk to. It's one of those conversations that we ranged over a huge area. We talked about identity and confidence and family and uh, mental health and your responsibility as a performer or writer when you're telling your own story and, and towards other people who might be part of that story, who might feel entitled to that story. And using the word story too much sounds a bit wanky, but with the work that we do, it is actually a really concrete thing. You say things on stage and they affect people and how, how much you need to factor that in when you're writing it and how much you need to factor that in when you're performing it or whether you just take it on the chin we talked about that stuff. It was really interesting. I want to say thank you, everyone, who's been contributing on the Patreon. Thank you. It makes my life a lot easier. I get to buy tea for my guests. I get to not have to worry about transport. I can, you know, catch a tram and not worry about my bottom line. And I get to host the podcast, which costs money. The more people listen to it, the more it costs. So it's really nice to get support with that. It just means it's not coming out of my own pocket. It doesn't cost me to make this podcast and that is fantastic. I really I really feel like that's a, a privilege. I'm also going to keep doing these $1 posts on my Patreon. Most of my posts will be free. Some of them will be for like a dollar and up subscribers. Just because I would like people who subscribe to get something specific and special for their contribution. Uh, and I like that. But nothing, you know, I'm not going to be super you know, a bully or anything if you can't contribute to the patreon uh, but you really 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 want to read the post you could email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com and we'll figure out something else that you can do if you want to just tweet about uh, the podcast or tweet my guests or tell a friend who you think would like it that they would like it all of those things feed um, <laughs> the podcast and literally me on occasion so thank you very much I'm going to let you listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. At alliterative on Twitter, A L I T E R A T I V E, Alice R. Fraser at gmail.com if you want to say hi, or any of the other multiple channels of the internet. I love hearing from you. I love all of the support that I get. I love doing this podcast. I love you. Thank you very much. You're having two I can't remember. What did we settle on? Earl Grey. Earl Grey. Earl Grey. Relatively weak. Let's, no milk, let's go I'm with afraid. that. No, I think this is perfect. Yeah. I'm a tea appreciator. By no means a tea connoisseur. I'm kind of a tea, to be. a tea hussy. I drink. I embrace all of the teas. You want to enjoy that. Like I, I feel like you don't want to be. You don't want to be so much a connoisseur that you can't enjoy a tea bag. If I'm really honest. I really love hot water. Like I just, I just drink hot water. I drink hot water too sometimes if I don't want something. Yeah. So this I want something. Like, this look, this is a thrill for me right now. This, this flavors. This flavors. Smells. This colors. I ran an experiment when I was in first year uni. This is gonna reveal what a nerd I am of like drinking apple juice and then every day having more water in the apple juice and less apple juice. So it was like half apple juice, half water, and then a quarter apple juice, three quarters water. And then after about, I think it was about three or four weeks, having straight apple juice, it was like, whoa, crazy. Yeah. It's about the, uh, what do they call it? The hedonic level, like the thing that you're used to, mm. that you become. Anyway, so this is a real thrill having flavors in your hot water. It is. Do you want to do you want to tell the listeners who you are and what you do? Because mm-hmm. that's in flux, right? It is in flux. It is also like a fragile time in my... Um, in, in the ebb and flow of, of how confident I feel in answering that question. Okay. Post Edinburgh Fringe. So usually, often throughout the year, I am a cabaret performer. Primarily, I see myself as a writer. 
I write all original songs for the shows and scripts. Um, and recently I've been told to start thinking of myself as a singer because that is apparently why lots of people come to my shows, <laughs> because of the voice. Um, I also curate a lot of um, outdoor events and a strong interest in roving performance and street theatre and artistic creative installations that bring a community together or bring some great little moments into a village and more recently I've started um, curating and producing a venue for the Adelaide Fringe so as many creatives will experience many strings to the bow that's so many strings to the bow it's almost a guitar instead of a bow yeah um, 12, 12 string guitar that's pretty good though mm. what got you into the cabaret side of things um I had a very early fascination with um, with the period of cabaret between the wars in Germany. I don't know how I stumbled across it, but it was from, I guess, very early in high school that I started becoming total cabaret nerd and really interested in um, that philosophy of creating art and an experience that not only helps you escape from the things that are currently too difficult in life, but also challenge the society around them and, you know. Process them, digest yeah, them. Yeah, so I recently started reading again about this wonderful little cabaret venue that was in um, Munich called Die Elfskafrichter or the Eleven Executioners, which had this mission statement to bring variety to the high art status and p make people take variety seriously and used that form of expression um, to parody and question and remark on the world, the changing world around them. And that, yeah, the 11 executioners because they were passing their independent judgment on society. But also I think because no other genre really f embraced all of the different things that I do like cabaret can be very visual and can be very you know wonderfully dynamic musically and can be comedy and you know if you suddenly work out you can play the piano upside down and behind your head there's a home for it in the show or <laughs> which i've seen that is a very impressive uh talent to have yeah, yeah how do you work that out though um i don't know I, oh that's right i sprained my ankle really badly and was being constantly told to elevate it <laughs> so I was just sitting at my friend's house who has a grand piano at 2am in the morning after drinking lots of tea and he was like you've got to be careful stop running around on your foot you've got to elevate it so I was playing the piano at the time and I was getting ridiculously tangled trying to keep my feet above my head while still playing the piano I thought I was being hilarious and I did then fall off the seat and further damage myself but oh you know that's how that's art, how we art requires <laughs> art requires suffering yeah i'm big on suffering for my art unfortunately so when you write do you tend to go through themes or do you have a sense do you go songs first lyrics first music first or um do they all come together at the same time definitely words and message first i have always written as much as i enjoy writing to a brief or picking you know someone else setting the task I've always art or my my work has always been about processing something that I don't understand yet and so that's that's my process and and I write to understand myself better or I write to change something about myself I'm not happy with or I write to understand something externally that that I can't quite get my head around or decipher and sometimes I guess more one thing I, I um, experienced with my last show, Rogue Romantic, is some of it came out and went in front of an audience before I'd really given myself enough time to uh, check in with some of the results. So it was uh -huh. very, it's a very vulnerable show and very exposing. It was exposing for me and a lot of the people, that, you know, that I've had relationships with as well. So that was something like a steep learning curve of being like, okay you do also have a certain responsibility well yeah. obviously you have a responsibility for the work that you put out and and that was um I guess incredibly apparent in this last 
last event. <laughs> well, because it's so... Per- I had an int- a, similar exper- a similar experience with Savage, which was the show that I wrote uh, when I had a show that needed to be done and my mum was dying and I the trial show ended up... Well, I did the trial show what ended up being two weeks before she died and then had to rewrite the show. So the show that I wrote during that period of emotional whatever... Mm. And then the show that I rewrote on the off, on that base of how do you how do you be funny and wh- you know what is it what are, what are you trying to say and and all of that stuff how do you react to people how do people react to you what what is what is the urge that makes people of faith have faith and. Why can't I have that? And mm. you know my background and upbringing and all of that stuff. All of that, I wrote and performed this show, and it wasn't until quite a lot later um, that my brother said that he wasn't comfortable with it. Mm. And that was a really interesting conversation because we don't have we don't have a fighty family, but it, I you know his his sense that I'd had this story and I'd taken the story and. you know made it public and the fact that the public story tends to sort of overwrite other people's stories or their experiences but that also he didn't feel comfortable criticizing it because it's my work and it's my expression and and because the story that I told is such a razor thin slice of the experience I don't pretend to be telling the whole story in fact most detail is left out it's very oblique and most of the details are in my mum's words from the podcast that I did with her, uh, rather than me describing things. Yeah. But then that means that everyone who goes to see the show puts their own story on it. Yeah, which, you know, if you silence that voice, it's a really tricky one because you obviously have to be so aware and sensitive of of those close to you and how that affects their experience with the story that you're telling, like their personal experience with that and outside of that yeah, as the representation. But then also your personal journey to need to express or get that out as your process and then what that can offer or spark for other people. And then, you know, then it becomes their own or it becomes... you know the world's story and people can connect and put their own stuff into it and you know spark their own thought processes and all of that other stuff yeah it's interesting particularly when somebody's done something wrong or something that hurt you I think a lot of arguments that people have in life it's a very aeroplaney day today I don't know if that's getting picked up on the microphone but people go on places (laughs) a lot of the arguments that people have in life I think are about the story you know Mm. of like no no no, you got me wrong you're saying that I'm this kind of person but I'm actually this kind of person you're you're not you're not explaining the reasons yeah sure I dumped you but but via text message but you don't understand it's because blah 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 you know people it it's all about often arguments are about controlling the narrative of, of not the actions themselves, but what those actions say about them. Mm. And of course, you're, if you're telling the story of your relationship with someone, you're going to be talking about the actions that impacted on you. And so they're going to be a very particular selection of... Yeah. Well, the reason I wrote the show is because I had this realisation that, hey, there are two sides to this story. And I always like realised that th- you know, time after time, I was really just listening to their side or the other side of the story. And then it took me like reflecting on it all and putting it all together to go oh wow I have a side of this story too like I've always just accepted that I would you know have done things wrong or needed to change things or accept things so it was a really empowering show for me to write to go hey here's my side of the story I gotta put it on paper and make it real (laughs) and and, yeah and put to music set it to music yeah which for me was hugely liberating and like hugely good for me as someone who is now I think complete in my two-year journey of being by myself Mm. um just to to feel that confidence in my own 
yeah, in my own story, my own side of the story or my own um, journey. So for me, the, I was swept up in how liberating that process was to finally like claim and own some of that and put it to words and get it out. And I think that's why the response was so strong of people like, A, cottoning onto how real it was immediately or B, having a similar experience or C, you know, awakening that feeling in themselves of like owning their side of the story that they, you know, maybe didn't accept or were too accepting of certain things or whatever else. And then what I realised in putting it out was like, oh gosh, (laughs) I haven't personally approached any of, like I failed to personally approach any of the people who um, I guess were on the other side of that to let them know my side of the story before I spewed it out in this public forum, which I don't, I think, I don't think I could have, or I think it would have brought me right back into being shy about having that voice. Well, yeah, there's a certain level of, if you're asking them, or if you're telling them before you publish it, you're asking them for permission. And in the absence of libel, like there's no reason to ask them for permission except to say, oh, your opinion of my experience is more mm. important than mine. Like, I can understand why you would feel sensitive in, if you felt like you'd been exposed or something that was private had been exposed. But equally, like, that's, <laughs> that's part of the deal is, is of being a person, is that you're going to affect other people. Mm. And you might not know how until much later. Mm. Can you, like, describe any of the interactions that you had in that way? In, in, like, them coming to the show or them hearing about it secondhand and calling you or emailing you or coming up to you? Was it all very personal and confrontational or was it it Yeah, in one case it was personal and confrontational. In another case it was, um, it was, like, you know, friends, friends who were there who knew both, both of us who were just like, I guess, in tears of laughter and embarrassment and like, <laughs> I guess, like realisation as, as well to, to hear that side of it. And so I was very fragile after the show of just like, I wanted to hide. I realised after the second night, I was like, I'm not ready to deal with this. And then, I, you know, as is my way, I was like, nope. This is my responsibility. I have put it out there. I'm going to stand there at the at the door and, you know, see everyone as they're leaving. And it was amazing. Like, I guess as much as it was a start to finish, like, comedy show, which I, I, I've never written a show that has so many, that gets so many laughs, you know, that is such a, and, and that really surprised me because it, came a lot of it came from really dark and quite personal space it was just so um I guess bizarre to have that and the majority of people were like walking out like wiping tears of laughter from their eyes and then a couple of people I guess who were closer to me and lived through some of those experiences with me or had lived through similar experiences more recently than than you know to be able to have the reaction of ha 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 yes I've been there it's more like ha 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 oh my god (laughs) brutal yeah yeah yeah. so um yeah I think a huge part of creating work is your responsibility afterwards not only well for what it brings up for for strangers for what it brings up for um you know dialogue that happens afterwards whether it's publicly or privately or um you know with your personal relationships it's all included you do you start a conversation or you continue a conversation by creating that work and it's irresponsible to then you know back off from where that where that goes yeah I I think that's that's probably the way to think about it which is that you know you have a right to say what you say and then they have a right to say what they say and have it heard by you ideally I mean you could just go well write your own damn show <laughs> yeah if you don't like what I've done write your own damn show but you could also just you know, yeah this. well definitely in one case I laughed it off and was like look here's what your song about me would sound like and I prattled off you know all the things I've heard before about stuff that I did wrong and like then 
finishing it by and then you know you wrote a song and told the world how shit I was so <laughs> like yeah it is it, I guess that's that's the thing that I was I'm old hat at is admitting my flaws yeah yeah so that was um quite an interesting one and at the moment I'm reimagining the show um for the Adelaide Fringe which is an interesting one because I'm going back and revisiting it I guess looking at the material more objectively when it's not so fresh out of the wound yeah <laughs> which is going to be I think the you know the final part of the catharsis of writing but yeah coming back to the idea of 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 what drives you to write and what inspires you to create is definitely definitely about process and understanding and I think that's something I would have learned this time is yes it's really nice to have a deadline and go I'm going to write this show in eight weeks and then put it in front of an audience what that doesn't give you I guess is the time to protect yourself a little bit because it's it's so raw when it comes out I guess it always is going to be the first time you show it anyway though isn't it you can't really it's a it's a brave thing to do it's it's raw as art and it's also raw as expression of emotion yeah yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting one. I think for me, once it's in the form of art, then it's at least slightly distanced from my you know from the center. At the center, mm. it's all incoherent, and mm. uh, you couldn't put it into words if you tried. And so, by putting it into words, you've just taken it already one step away from the heart of things. And then it's sort of very delicate and vulnerable and personal as art. And so open to criticism, man. Like with Savage, I just didn't, I just refused to read reviews mm. because it was like, I fuck you having an opinion about my feelings about my mum. Like, yep. you don't get to have an opinion on that. Yep. Even on it as art because it's, it's not what it's about. So I feel a bit more comfortable with my most recent show having people have opinions about it because it's more explicitly. Mm, an artistic product it's so different because some some works you create to uh, you know to to understand something personally for yourself or to process something personally for yourself and sometimes that does connect with something that is often the more personal something is the more universal it is because you know you look deeper inside yourself you find something that is part of the essence of being a human Mm. and that's something everyone connects with or if you're thinking outwardly and trying to create something you know trying to provoke a response or create a dialogue around something or you know initiate that social change that we talked about you know stirring the pot and um that's stabilizing people oh man i love it yeah so i guess it's like whatever your intention is and that's i think great that you knew going into presenting the show what what it was about for you and what you did and didn't want back from it for it (laughs) yeah yeah. oh don't tell me what you think yeah (laughs) yeah and that show, I stood at the door and, and hugged everyone as they left because it was a mean trick to play on people to present what looked like a comedy show and ended up very much not being a comedy show. Uh, and then my most recent show, I didn't really. I, th- I sort of started off doing it out of habit and I was like, oh, actually, I'm happy to let it s- sit and let it sit with people and mm. I don't need to make it okay. Mm or be vulnerable or anything at the end. It's just, this is the show, and then I walk backstage. And that was also a great relief of mm. just going, you know, tweet me if you've got an opinion. Yeah, that is definitely something I've been entertaining the idea of for a while. I, with that file, I've always gone you know, out after my shows and thanked everyone for being there and just, you know, as people go past. But doing the, you know, I guess the, a whole month worth of shows every night in Edinburgh and realising, I guess, stepping straight off stage how open you are and how vulnerable you are and how, um, I guess, like I've spent some time working out, you know, what developing my shields and my personal barriers of what, of you know, what I keep guarded and protected and, and you know, how open you can afford to be in your daily life. It's something that comes from you know get putting yourself out there and being burnt and you just go I can't do that all the time so but then I think straight after a show is a time for me definitely where I just do not have those shields anymore and so something someone can say or you know you so can be so suggestible or so like oh man yes with Savage I was happy to do it because it was uh, really um a, a dominant show in that like 
in that way of just this is it was so open and so exposed and then I'd give people a hug as they left and that if they didn't want to talk to me they wouldn't give me a hug but no one would come up and criticize you because there was no way you could criticize what it was you could not like it what it was but you couldn't question what it was whereas with the resistance I think yeah I, w I wasn't I didn't really I, I was happy for it to just stand on its own I didn't feel the need to console people or fix it or mm. you know help people afterwards or apologize or any of that stuff um yeah I wonder if it's like I guess with the show where where you've presented something I, I mean outside of your example about savage it sometimes I wonder is it like is it generous that you go outside and you you know have a personal contact with someone or is it self-indulgent and are you there for the yeah. praise or is it like what what is your reason for being there how is it read I guess is it valued by people or well, is it better for you to go backstage and do your correct vocal warm down tool. <laughs> like with the show that I did before that which was about me being a lawyer I started off on the stage but very dressed up as a lawyer and I left I shook everyone's hand when I left very dressed down as myself the whole show was basically a strip show but not not a sexy strip show, but a <laughs> strip show down from lawyer to who I am now. Um, and so that was about meeting the audience in two personas and showing them the difference. Yeah. And then with Savage, it was I was on stage when they came in and hugged them as they left because that was about when they came in going, hey, it's okay, I'm a person, we're all comfortable, this is my space, you're on my terms. And on the way out, it was like, we're all people, very human. Mm. Whereas with the resistance, I didn't feel the need to be there at the end. And I felt like being there at the beginning at that point would have been a bit of a crutch. Mm. A little bit of like, I, I felt like it, with that particular piece of art, it should stand on its own, in its own terms, within its own boundaries. And the kind of, I'm Alice, let me tell you a story, welcome to my space stuff was not necessary or useful. Not that it was a better or a worse show mm. than the other shows necessarily, but I thought I can start cold and finish cold. I don't need to give people a gentle ramp up or a gentle ramp down. Mm -hmm. And equally, yeah, you do have that thing where on stage, putting your message out, you're pushing yourself beyond the boundaries of your normal persona. You're, you're extending your neck out beyond your turtle shell of normal being and mm. it takes a while to pack all your little tentacles back in <laughs> it sure does so, so you're super kind of, yeah you feel super raw and all your skin's on the outside and you're like you know it was nice to just go backstage and pack all my bits back in <laughs> tuck it in yeah exactly uh tuck it and tape it yep uh that you work with other people which i find impressive uh, <laughs> why is that well, organisationally speaking. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you're, I mean, I've worked with other people in the context of organisations like the Law Review or mm -hmm. Improv at Sydney University where there was a structure and teams were sort of, you, you joined a team but it was within a structure. This idea of kind of being the captain of a ship made of art, for me that's an almost inconceivable amount of, of self-confidence oh. of like come on board with me and make a thing. I don't think I have the certainty that the thing I would make would be good enough or I don't have the organisational skills to get all the people in the same place or there's something about it that seems super impressive to me. Oh, really? That you have a whole, like, the capacity to build a team around you is very... Yeah. I think, like, for me, I just... I, I don't know if it would call it confidence. It can come from the opposite place as well. It, like, definitely for me, it was always, like... I, I never really thought of it as, hey, come on board and believe in what I do and, you know, be be a, a prop in what I do or something. It was like, hey, let's all make this thing yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we'll use your skills and your skills and together it will be great. It was like pretty a, a pretty huge step for me to, I guess, like, I, I guess also it took me a long time to believe that anyone would want to come and just see me. In fact, I still hardly believe that. Like, why I, I just why would anyone want to come and just see me on a stage? They want to come and see, you know, this beautiful dancer and this wonderful set and these elaborate costumes and this in incredible band. And that's what I find easy talking about as well. Like I find it easier to say, hey, you people out there, come and look at this incredible collection of humans that are here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also like 
the collaborative process is 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 um hugely important to me in that I've never had any formal training I started um I guess I've played instruments since I before I could walk but I um you know just pick up things along the way and with producing shows I would just you know get a bunch of my friends and put them on a lineup and put a little poster around the place and um you know start from there and then gradually you know work with more and more people and I I feed off of other people's creative creativity and creative brains and I like thrive off the chance to work with people and discover how someone else works and discover what someone else's ideas are and and bring those together and I guess like I've always seen myself in the future as like having having a company of of people that I believe in equally whether they all do separate shows or whether you know we do one big touring show and that I will have the skills from a producer perspective to be able to make that happen from the organisational perspective um, but in a way that everyone can own their place in it and have their creative needs fulfilled within it the way I guess traditionally that a circus would work that someone, you know, everyone has their different act or their different talent that fits under this umbrella but then, you know, exploring the idea of working together and um, see where those intersections are fruitful and mm. where where they're... yeah, that's really an an interesting way to look at it. I think it's a, it's like thinking of something as as like having a little mini community around you, and uh, if you have this, I guess the skills to facilitate it, it's a really exciting um, way to do it. And it's it's also kind of the difference between, I, I guess I've always been in bands, mm-hmm. and so that's you know it. Like it took me a while to accept that yes, okay, I was I was the front person of the band rather than being like, you know, uh, you know like originally my band was called Bird Wisdom and then people my my um fans were like why isn't it called Anya Anastasia and something or you know, and not realizing that I was putting myself always at the front of it and yet not not calling it that. Yeah, that simultaneous confidence and unconfidence. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, I feel like. I I don't know whether it's a, like a, a an arrogance or a lack of confidence on my part that I always feel like I'm on the fringes of things or uh, that I'm kind of sticking my neck out with the stuff that I write. I always mm. I always want to be saying things that I almost am almost incapable of saying. So things that are just beyond yep. what I would feel comfortable dealing with. Like there's arguments that I could make and there's jokes that I could make mm. about stuff that would be easy to make that I have the skills that I have the knowledge that I have the authority yep to say these things that no one would question my right to say them or my ability to say them I'm, those are not the things that I'm really interested in saying what I'm interested mm. in saying is the stuff that I'm not sure what I think about or I'm not sure if I, I'm even allowed to say it or or you might find out what you think about it by saying it <laughs> yes exactly that yeah. which is which is why whenever a comedian gets in trouble for saying something wrong, I go, what was the gig though? <laughs> like was it an open mic night? Was it a new joke that they were figuring out? Because you don't know where the line is until you kind of tap your toe up against it. Yep. And the line is different in every room and the line is different in every community. Uh, yeah, but you see, I think the the interesting thing is like, in a in a collaborative sense you can you can say that in a group of people of that you know are interested in the same conversation and therefore you put it out there with an extra level of confidence it's like you know you bounce that off the people around you first and I always surround myself with people who are adventurous and are up for taking those risks and I guess that's an extra little bit of confidence that you get is to go hey we've both had some ideas about this or you know we've had a conversation about this let's put it out there I miss it massively (laughs) because I did start in improv and sketch Mm. so I miss that ability to be uh, I mean more than the sum of your parts yeah. Like each of you could be excellent, but working with someone else who makes you more excellent than you would ever be on your own is a nice feeling. Mm. But it's so brave also like, you know, doing doing the solo doing the solo show. It's definitely Is brave. that in your future? I've done two. Yeah. So Rogue Romantic, the new show that was premiered as a solo show. Mm-hmm. Um 
And I did have the luxury of putting it in front of a director before before an audience um, for a couple of sessions, but I s- it's still, you know, it still felt very exposing being on the stage with material that was so raw and that was so fresh as well and being alone, you know, ca- holding the, you know, carrying the show in that sense, in the entertainment sense as well as owning owning all of your words as the the sole person delivering them or the sole um you know presence on that stage so I've yeah but I think then it's exciting that you can that I can present that to to other musicians or to other people and say would you like to be involved in this do it as a band yeah that's it's very cool and exciting and your your producery stuff you were telling me that you found yourself uh, cultivating people who were like you in in the producer sense um yeah i guess i guess i've i've always been determined to be in the driver's seat of my career and mm-hmm. that that has meant evolving skills as a producer simultaneously as evolving skills as a performer and really wanting to understand every angle of the industry that I'm in but then I guess through that understanding or through the networks that I gain through doing that I have um, I see possibilities for creating other opportunities for other people and I also then want to I think I'm a big believer in sharing sharing those skills that you require to allow other people to be equipped with that knowledge rather than you know there being this divide between the people that can provide the artists with opportunities and you know and the The artists artists. yeah Yeah. I I, you don't want to pull the ladder up behind you which I think Mm. a lot of people do because we have an industry that feels like it's based on scarcity like there's not a lot of opportunities and and I think that's mainly an illusion I think there are more opportunities mm. than people think. Yeah, well, I think in in all in, in all fields, it's like well, in so many fields, there's uh, it's competition is a strange concept to me because y- you know it's the, it's the classic like strength in numbers. The more people you have talking about their you know the noise of their exciting shows or the exciting you know you can develop a culture where more people are used to going out and seeing shows or where more people are interested in what's on or well there's a reason that chinatown exists yeah i mean it's not it's it's better to have 30 chinese restaurants in 100 meters square space than it is to have as you know have chinese restaurants scattered like people on a bus trying to be as far away from each other as possible like you you can grow things in a community and in, in, in an atmosphere just by being in proximity to other people. Mm. So the more people who you bring around you, the more fertile the ground is. Mm. Yeah, and I think I, like definitely always something that I'm interested in doing is like expanding the amount of people who get exposed to the work. And this is my fascination with, with street theatre and with performance that happen outside because people who attend your shows already have a certain way of you know thinking or experiencing or you know interest in experiencing that sort of thing and for you know I'm really interested in making those sorts of ideas or visuals or whatever you're presenting um out there for as well for anyone and everyone to have an experience with it like I have this memory this memory recent memory actually so as much as my memory does fail me uh, here's one <laughs> um of my godmother Elizabeth who started the Australian dance uh, Australian da- dance theater and um she's also you know run a number of dance companies she's now performing at in a leading role of Swan Lake in Ireland at 83 years old. <laughs> what? One of those incredible people that I, you know, I constantly look to for inspiration and, um, you know, just to, to assure you that you, it can be a lifelong pursuit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, she used to always, as well as her own projects that she did, she'd take um, up at Miramu uh, near Lake George in Canberra. She would not only 
do her presentations within a theatre, but she would take then take the work into schools in these regional um, spaces. I guess there, there's a big army base nearby, and a lot of the kids have pretty limited exposure to certainly contemporary dance and certainly like you know very spiritual contemporary dance and so I remember just sitting there at one of those performances that she was doing and watching like the expressions on these kids is like that would definitely be the only time they you know in the last well possibly ever since since they were born that they've been exposed to something so outside the sphere and whether they like it or not it, it goes in there somewhere it gets absorbed somewhere and you know offers that extra that's one of the things that I really like about comedy is that there is no sense of a barrier to entry. Nobody goes, oh, comedy, I could never, which they do about opera or dance. And, mm. and even though those things are, I think, or can be as accessible or as moving or as, as powerful, when I, you know, when I was, for me, the big choice wasn't being a lawyer or being a comedian, it was being an academic or being a comedian. Mm. That was actually, I could never have survived as a lawyer, but I could have been an academic. And it was sort of, when I was thinking about that choice, I actually, you know, I was telling my dad when I was quitting being a lawyer that, oh, I'm going to go do my PhD. And, and then I just did comedy and kept doing comedy because I thought with comedy, the better you get, the more people listen to you. Mm -hmm. With academia, the higher up the ladder you get, the fewer people can even understand what mm. you're saying. Well, that's the interesting thing that comes back to of like what you're saying before about, okay, but do I have authority to speak? And it's so interesting to be like, I am now, I'm in a position where I can speak to more people, but I am not the expert. Like, And then often the expert are the people that lack the skills to communicate on that, that broad level. So... You know, I've had conversations with friends of mine who've been asked to comment on certain things that are happening in the world because they're the kind of people, you know, that are a personality or are have a following. Um, but then, you know, their insecurity of like, yes, I have, I, I have a way of a articulating platform. things and a platform for communicating that message. However, I don't necessarily have the, the what gives me the authority from that knowledge base of communicating that. It's like, but but it's actually you know it's 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 really interesting because you there's such strength in like either simplifying a message or you know making it accessible. Um, well, people can't hear; they can't understand things. They can't. Mm, this is a bad way to put it. Uh, there's a Buddhist kind of parable, uh, which is that you shouldn't criticize someone unless you know that they are capable of receiving the criticism. Otherwise, it's useless. Mm. You should only criticise in, in, in the language and at the time and in the place where it's about that they can actually get something from it. So you should never speak ill of someone behind their back. You should, you know, you should speak good of them if you know it's going to do them benefit. But if you have a criticism, you should deliver it to their face. But only if you think they can hear it. Yeah. And so it's that with, with ideas as well. Why would I have an idea or like in academia pursue some really elaborate complicated idea that if I sp spoke out loud to somebody they would be incapable of absorbing it's like a different language there's so much kind of, mm. of stuff to it so I think that there's a real power in being able to figure out what the language is that people are the most n number of people are going to be able to hear and the magic of comedies you can tell if they get it or not because they laugh yeah like you can see the idea happen, which is super powerful. But then on the other hand, we have this weird culture of mistrusting experts, which I find super worrying. Because what, why do you think that? Why do I think that it's worrying or why do I think No, why do, you, why do you think that, that well, that's we That's what happened with, with Brexit. So like there was this whole thing of like, fuck the experts. All of the experts were saying it was a bad idea. No one wanted to hear what the experts had to say. And it's a similar thing with Donald Trump. It's because everyone, also because everyone thinks they're an expert. Everyone, yeah, nowadays <laughs> people have the right to express an opinion. So what makes your opinion better than my opinion? Yeah, and then it's the case of the loudest opinion. Yeah, and <laughs> the, that's the, um, that Dunning-Kruger effect, which is that if you are, everyone thinks that they're, smarter than they are and better at stuff than they actually are 
except for the people who are really good at it who think that they're not very good at it who get that imposter syndrome because they understand mm. how little they understand whereas yeah. if you don't understand how little you understand you think you know everything there is to know because you have no idea you can't see outside the circle of your own brain to see how small it is in the scope of all of the things that could be conceived of. Mm, and all of the room that there is for bringing the new things in is covered up by the yelling of the same things out. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, if you can only see in into your own head, your own head seems like the world. Whereas you, if you have whatever that capacity is, and it's not even necessarily intelligence or education, but the capacity to see outside your own head, then your head is tiny compared to the rest of the world you're just a little speck and so then you have all these brilliant people who think they're idiots whereas idiots think that they're geniuses <laughs> uh, you just need to be smart enough to know how dumb you are I don't think I have that enough I think sounds I like you do <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I hope so uh, yeah I don't know I think the good thing about the internet is that we can see other people's brains. But that's also the depressing thing. Mm. <laughs> you don't think so? Do you spend a lot of time on the internet? Um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. But, yeah, and I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. And as well, the way that we're trained to, I guess, through through the um, social media platforms especially that we're constantly reinforcing that you should only be if you can't absorb something in a couple of sentences then it's not worth your time or you know you're just not used to digging deeper or looking deeper because that's you know everything's so constant and immediate you can you you end up feeling like you can only give certain amounts of time to every little thing you know that (laughs) and that definitely um, feeds into what you're saying as well like a oversimplifying very complicated concepts and very complicated ideas and and b taking the voice away from people that have genuinely thought out um opinions and authority on those opinions with the you know the research and the experience to back it up and puts that you know the megaphone in front of the people who've heard heard a couple of things or you know read an article or yeah. <laughs> you know had a, a couple of heated discussions over a few pints or <laughs> yeah yeah or even that i i mean the, the really powerful and useful idea that that experience is analogous to or equivalent to or somehow as valuable as expertise so which is one of the one of the threads of the identity politics movement which is that if you have been that person in that place then you have authority to speak about your experience which I think is really useful and good but can also then lead to people discounting other opinions like you're not allowed to have an opinion because you haven't experienced that thing but it's really useful to have an outside opinion Mm. like some of the most painful and useful conversations in my life have been somebody going, I know from the inside it looks like X, but from the outside it's actually Y. Mm. And then you go, oh, fuck, you're right. You know, I was here in my little bubble thinking that this was the entirety of, because my experience was all I had. But then if you look at it from the outside or you contextualize it, so that, I think it's super dangerous to say you're not allowed to have an opinion on this or you're not allowed to have authority on this Mm. because you haven't experienced it. Because then the only people who will speak about it are the people who are in it, who are usually emotionally tied up or afraid or angry or, you know, in the middle of it. As you say, like when when you're making a show about something that's super raw and personal, it might not be the best art or it might not be you know you don't have perspective on it at all and having a director or having someone outside go give you a few guiding lights or this is what it seems like to an audience because you can only see it from yourself yeah so it's only the people who are in it and the fuckheads with no respect who'll be talking about the issue Mm. if you start to do that thing where you say you're out you're out of 
this community so you don't have a right to comment on what's going on in this community. Mm. I think that's a really understandable but dangerous approach. Yeah, and I think um, it's, it's really important to choose well, you know, who you surround yourself with and and that there are people within your sphere that do challenge you and, um, you know, and, and making sure that you constantly are allowing those external voices. Like, I guess uh, I definitely go through strong, like, long periods of time doing work that is very isolating, whether it's writing or whether it's working a lot of hours to do something and, you know, therefore I have to be really careful of, like, yeah, what my sources of information and news are and who, you know, making sure that I do catch up with people to check my reality and to to provoke, whether it's, you know, playing devil's advocate in quite a deliberate sense or whether it's just, you know, a naive comment or something that will actually trigger a thought or a, or a shift in thinking or an, a self-awareness or that sort of thing. And definitely um, I, I think it's ta- it takes a conscious effort in in any medium whether it's like you know your your online presence the amount of time you spend like really being aware of of where you're looking for your information or you know making sure that you have a few complete aliens in your feeds yeah to and give you that infuriating but important perspective on what the other side thinks of anything yeah absolutely and like yeah keeping keeping your ears open I think that like the perfect analogy for me is why I don't have arguments over email. Like if somebody sends me, and it's happened not a huge number of times in my past, but I think it's it's really instructive, a very long, involved, emotional argument email. You did this, you said this, da-da-da-da. I usually now, I won't read them. I'll just give a one-line response saying we should have a phone call or we should meet up. Because often what happens is you've built a house of cards in those arguments because there's no response from your interlocutor. You did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then you send this eight-paragraph email Mm. and they come back to you with like, well, actually, A isn't exactly how it was. So your whole structure is built on this foundational which may or may not be true you need to kind of check in at every point along the way mm. which is less satisfying for you it's less of a rant but it's much more useful as an argument if you want to stay friends with those someone those rants are so good to write and then not send yeah <laughs> to oh, write man. and then have the coffee i have books full of <laughs> letters that i haven't sent to people but sometimes yeah it's like the same thing as writing you know like we say creative writing for to help like once once you're forced to articulate it you're forced to put your opinions into words and then you know get it out and look at it and see what see what's there but then also step back from it and go okay let's now now that I have a clearly formed idea I guess there is that fear that someone will confront you immediately and you go oh you're right okay and that's why it can feel good to send because you're like here's my opinion now let's talk about it because if I try and sometimes you know if you're not so good with confrontation you bring some of those things up and someone else has a better way of articulating themselves or can shoot you down you're just like I'm so I'm so bad at confrontation and I it's like just because you know what you think and I'm not sure yet doesn't make you right and me wrong like that thing of like no don't just be certain at me like I think there's a problem here I must tease it out yeah let's let's play it out step by step rather than letting you kind of steamroller over me which is why I like the like the almost formulaic one line one line you have you get to say one thing and then I'll respond and then I say one thing and you respond like I get quite like this is the space I have because otherwise I do find myself to think oh okay and then you walk away and you go you think you know the next day you're like ah this no that's yeah. not you know and you well, can't. like language is so powerful and it's really interesting identifying like the certain certain way you know certain ways of talking that become a habit when you're talking about a certain issue you can use the same language over and over again and it can you know once you identify what what parts of that or structure of that language it is that is disarming to you it's really important information to go can we change the way that we're talking about that because that 
reads like this and you know it's overly emotional or it makes me think that I'm a certain way or you know yeah. like I've just had this um pretty intense argument about like in this particular instance it was that um they are upset to see my life divided into the you know having to be a bit of a hard ass and having to make really like be in a really intense business environment or a really intense level of risk that I'm taking financially or all of that kind of stuff versus the other side of myself which is you know quite fey and creative and childlike and for them like seeing that divide and seeing one taking up more time than the other or you know feeling like that the one might get lost or you know and so their language has always been around it's a it's a it's a split personality it's a duality you know and from, uh, for me, I had to stand up and say, I need you to stop talking about me like I have a split personality. I don't. There are different facets of me and what I do. Yeah. I'm trying to create a career that, you know, embraces both, like that one has the strength to stick up for the other and the other one has... Yeah, you know, the this is not... They're di- <laughs> not different. There's no divide here. It's different gears of yeah. the same machine or it's different facets of the same stone turning towards the sun when required. Like yeah. it's not... There's, there's a wholeness about that. Yeah you know, the different modes of being. Yeah. It's like speaking different languages. You're not a different person just because you're speaking a different tongue. Or yeah. Or a different vocabulary or, or, of responses. You know, or a different mask on or whatever, you know. Or, you know, responding to a different social context or whatever. Everyone is, is different in different circumstance. And for me, like, I guess that was always something where I was like, it put me back into this feeling of like, oh, my God, I'm crazy. I am crazy. Cause <laughs> And so I just had to go, okay, that's definitely some of the language there that we need to stop using because it makes me feel like I'm a crazy person and I'm, I'm increasingly confident that I'm not completely crazy. Well, I, I mean, everyone who's <laughs> useful or worthwhile is at least a little bit off-centre, mm. but I think you seem extremely functional. <laughs> right, at this point in time. At this point in time, and, mm. you know, that's all that matters if you can still get stuff done. Then it's then it's a quirk rather than <laughs> <laughs> rather than debilitating illness, which yeah. it can also be. Yeah, but then again, I think that that idea of being crazy as as a, a personality rather than an event <laughs> is yeah. is not very useful. Having the capacity to go crazy or having been crazy at any given t- point in your life doesn't make you a crazy any more than having run a marathon makes you a marathon like Hmm. an experience of mental or physical or psychological extreme doesn't define anything other than it gives you a knowledge that you have the capacity to do that yeah i I mean and then you know there's there's a lot of different levels of that like there whether you're it's something that you constantly live with or struggle with or you know your struggle is to not let it define you or to to not let it rule you I think that it's it can you know finding your um level of ex, you know your level of expect acceptance and understanding of how that part of who you are sits like whether it's you know um depression or or any any different anxiety or whatever so, you know you can go from everyone's struggle with it is so different yeah well i th- yeah <laughs> it really is um but i think yeah i don't think i would worry too much about being crazy if i were you no maybe that's another word to avoid <laughs> crazy for you yep yeah the the binary and the crazy you seem like a lovely human being. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Very well-rounded, um, multiple facets. Would you like to tell our listener where they can find you online? Oh, yes. Um, AnyaAnastasia.com or most of my more personal and I guess vaguely more interesting ramblings all just through my boring old personal Facebook feed and I do accept old friend requests. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing to do. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Oh, thank you so much for the tea and conversation. Yeah, having tea with Alice.